Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Please stand as you are able for the reading of our first lesson, which comes to us from the book of Jeremiah in the 29th chapter, verse 1 and 4 through 7. Listen now for God's word. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Those that are able, we invite you to stand again for our reading, second reading from the letter of Paul to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Listen now to the word of the Lord. You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. Share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. It is the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel for which I suffer hardship even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no one good but only ruins those who are listening. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray. God, now as we hear your word, would you make us evermore into the likeness of your Son, the Word made flesh. Amen. Well, we find ourselves this morning at the end or toward the end of the story we've spent the last year making our way through the Bible chronologically. We've seen the world created in Genesis. We've seen the covenant with Abraham begin. And then we've seen the Israelites break the covenant. But we've seen God's faithfulness throughout all of Scripture. We've heard the words of the prophets come to us, challenging us to listen and to hear where God is at work in the world. When we got to the New Testament, we saw God's faithfulness through the revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ. And through Christ's teaching, we got a new vision for life, for discipleship. We walked with Christ through Lent to the cross, and then three, la- three days later be raised from the dead on Easter. We saw the church, the body of Christ, take shape first through the disciples and then through the Apostle Paul. We saw Paul, the once Christian persecutor, after having a vision of Christ on the road to Damascus, become the agent of God's redemption to the Gentiles. Paul's mission, which we heard last week, even led his own people, the Jews, to almost kill him. We also heard last week of Paul's letter to the Corinthians about what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. And of course, that letter to the Corinthians is not the only letter that Paul wrote. He wrote letters to churches throughout all of the ancient world. Letters to churches in Corinth, but also to Philippians, Thessalonians, to Ephesians, to Colossians, to Romans. And even an entire letter about the debate between Jews and Gentiles in a book called Galatians. Throughout his ministry, Paul is trying to help the church in their witness to the world, giving them correction, instruction, and perspective. And we come to the end of the story almost. We're going to finish it next week. And I hope, like me, I look back and I go, wow, it's a good story. But we come to the end. And this morning we read a letter from Paul that is also toward the end. Paul, like all humans, was destined to die. He was at the end of his time. He understood that. And so he sets a different tone. He talks about different things. Because the end is coming. He knows it. And we too, if we're honest, know that feeling. The feeling of the end that is near. When you go on vacation, and you're enjoying life, and the stress of work is gone, And then Friday comes, and all of a sudden, everybody's grumpy again. Why? Because the end is coming. The end is coming. Our parents know this best, especially moms here on Mother's Day. Your child was once learning to talk, and then learning to walk, and then you were potty training them, and then there was first grade and second grade, 
And all along the way, remembering this is the last time this is going to happen. Until they get to middle school when you sell them off and don't want to see them anymore. That's why I'm here. But then they become seniors. And our graduates will be graduating soon. And parents and seniors, I'm sure, and our college graduates as well. It's a special time. Why? Because it's the end. Those special moments. The end is near. The end is near, and so Paul writes with this in mind. He writes with this in mind because life moves on and it moves forward and time stops for no one. Into this context, Paul writes to Timothy this morning. And what does he want to tell Timothy at the end? This pastor that he's been mentoring along the way? Well, this morning I think Paul wants to tell Timothy and us three things. First, share in suffering. Second, remember Jesus Christ. And third, remind others of these things. First, share in suffering, Timothy, Paul says. Because Paul knew his own amount of suffering, and he knew that Timothy would experience it as well. But for Paul, suffering is not pain. It's perseverance. It's patience. And so Paul uses three metaphors to help us and Timothy to understand what sharing in suffering really looks like. First, it's like a soldier. Then it's like an athlete. Then it's like a farmer. It's like a soldier because a soldier's life is not their own. They have to do things because their commanding officer tells them to do it. They have to persevere in times of trial and distress with fortitude, with patience. A soldier knows how to share in suffering. An athlete as well can't just stop running the race. No, the athlete has to finish the race if it wants to win the prize, to get the crown, so to speak. It has to persevere through the pain. When it starts to hurt, the runner keeps running. This is perseverance. And the farmer must toil, must labor, plant, till, prune. If the farmer wants a harvest, the harvest doesn't just show up. It takes work, patience. And so we too, this morning, ought to keep going to share in suffering. When coach adds another lap, we run. When our teacher adds more to our homework assignment, we do it. When, we, when we're stuck in a job that we really want out of, but we know our family needs us there, we stay put. When the baby needs more diapers at 3 a.m. and we have none, we go to the store and we buy more diapers. We persevere. And the good news this morning is that we have a God who perseveres with us, alongside us, in the midst of life. God is there. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy to remember Christ. Because in your suffering, Timothy, Christ is there. The church has changed. It's in a new place when Paul writes this letter. Things are not how they once were. And so Paul wants Timothy to remember. To remember that there is one constant in life. There is one thing that never changes. Jesus Christ. Worship styles come and go. Hymn books 
come and go, things change. Fashion is in, and then it's out, and then for some reason it's back in again, right? Things change, but Christ does not. And this morning, Paul wants us to remember Christ. But this remembering's not about those good old days. No, it's an active remembrance. Because Christ is present with us now. In our midst. And so Paul tells us, Christ, the one who was raised from the dead. Because Christ isn't stuck in a tomb. No, it's, it's Easter season. We celebrate resurrection. And Christ is with us alongside us, working around us. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. So remember, Timothy. This is why we take communion. This is why this table is here. Because when we take communion, we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross and in resurrection. We remember that Christ is at work even now in our midst And we remember that Christ will be at work in the future in ways we don't even know or fathom yet. In communion, we get a new perspective. We see Christ at work. And so Paul reminds Timothy of this by quoting an early Christian hymn. He says, Timothy, these words are sure. If we have died with Christ, we will also live with Christ. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. This early Christian hymn, Timothy, sing it. You can imagine when he's first reading this letter that he starts to sing. And so we too, this morning, ought to sing the song. Or rather, the old, old story That Christ is at work. And we can suffer alongside one another and with each other and with Christ because Christ is here. But Paul doesn't stop there. No, he gets to the end of this section and he says, and Timothy, remind them of these things. What things? Remind them, Timothy, that Christ is here and at work. Remind them, Timothy, that Christ is doing something. When I was in undergraduate school at Azusa Pacific University, I was in a course uh, in which I was required to read a book called Soul Searching, the Faith of American, the Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. Um, this book was the first part of the National Study on Youth and Religion. It was done by social scientists. And if any of you are social scientists, um, you know this. It was a research book. Research books are not very interesting to read. They're filled with numbers and statistics. And as a sophomore in college, you can imagine I really worked hard to get through that book. Um, But what was important about that book was that it told us something about the church and about teenagers. And when I went to class after having read it and not really understanding it, my teacher interpreted it for us. You see, in this book author and sociologist Christian Smith coins a term called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a really fancy way of saying that most teenagers in America believe in three things. One, they believe that there is a God. All right. They believe there's a God. That's good news, right? 
Well, they believe that if they're nice, they'll go to heaven when they die. And we'll, we'll say nice. And they believe in God because He makes them feel better when they're sad. This, Smith says, based on his research, is what most American Christians, teenagers, believe. Now, on the surface, this might, might sound an awful lot like Christianity. There's a God, and there's a heaven, and there's help when I'm sad. But the reality is that this is not the gospel that Timothy is told to tell. This is not the story that Paul says, tell that story. No, this is a different story. This is a different story altogether. This is a story about feeling good about myself, not the story that has been passed down. It's a watered-down gospel. And so theologians and pastors have been asking the question, well, why is it that teenagers believe this? And what's come back is that it's because it's what we have taught them. Paul's challenge to Timothy this morning and to us is to remind ourselves and those around us of the Gospel, of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. And so in response to this moralistic, therapeutic deism, theologian Kenneth Dean has this to say. In her book, Almost Christian, because moralistic, therapeutic deism is just way too long to say, so she just says, well, they're almost Christian. They're not quite Christian, they're almost. And so she says this, The God portrayed in the Bible asks not just for commitment, but for our very lives. The God of the Bible traffics in life and death, not niceness, and calls for sacrificial love, not benign whateverisms. If the God of Jesus Christ, the missionary God, who crossed every boundary, life and death, space and time for us, then following Jesus is bound to be anything but convenient or nice. Jesus Christ does not tinker. He tears down walls. He draws up new plans. He makes demands like, have no other gods before me. Love your neighbor as yourself. And while you're at it, love one another as I have loved you. Leave your nets and follow me. And this morning, we have a choice to decide what kind of story we're going to remind the people around us of, both our children and youth as well as ourselves? Are we going to pass on niceties and a whatever attitude? Or are we going to witness to the life-giving and life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives and in the world? In a few moments this morning, we're going to receive nine confirmands into the family of faith here at First Press. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of faith are we going to pass on to them? If your family is like mine, uh, you have things that have been passed down from generation to generation. Family heirlooms, furniture, maybe property, maybe jewelry. And in my family, um, my brother has this, this watch or this clock. It's of a wolf and it is hideous. It's just so ugly. But he loves it. And he loves it so much that he, when my grandparents passed away, we had an auction, and he bid all of his money, his Monopoly money, at the auction on this clock. Nobody else bid it on it, and he like way overbid. 
But he wanted it. Why? Because it meant something to him. Because it was in my grandparents' house. It's what he remembers them by. When he looks at that clock, he sees my grandparents. My mother gave me this watch, which was also my grandfather's. And it means a lot to me, not because it has monetary value, but because it belonged to him. It was his. He wore it. And when I wear it, a part of him is with me. I wear that heritage, that heirloom. And like our family heirlooms, which we take care of and we protect and we value, our faith ought to be like that. It ought to be something that we are so proud of that we want to pass on. It ought to be something that has emotional value and pull, that has weight and meaning. Our faith should be an heirloom because it is something that matters. It's the story of an all-loving God who came, who took on our sin, our shame, came for us, for you and for me, the God of the universe. This is an unbelievable story, and we've heard the whole thing this year, step by step, of God's love, of God's covenant, of God's redemption, of God's faithfulness. And now Paul this morning is asking us, are you going to tell that story? Or are you going to tell the story that we've been telling? Moralistic, therapeutic deism. But the reality is, often I think the challenge about telling the story is that do we really believe it ourselves? We have a story, but we don't really know if we buy it. So this morning is a new opportunity to not only remember the story, but to maybe believe it for the first time. And so Paul asks us this morning in this letter to Timothy, will you tell the story? Will you believe it? Will you persevere when it gets hard? Will you remember Christ? Will you remind all of those around you of these things? The good news. And the good news this morning is that Christ is faithful even when we are not. Even when we forget. But Christ is challenging us this morning to tell a new story. A story with power and transformation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.